Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome to The Bricks in the Wall, the show where we try to empower you, the individual, with a metaphorical sledgehammer to bring down that wall that has been erected to keep us from the truth. And this is the show where we hopefully try to open your mind to the idea that we have been misled since birth. <clears throat> from the moment we are born, we are attacked with drugs, which some claim to disconnect you from source. Check out what this Austrian occultist and philosopher, philosopher Rudolf Steiner said about the soul and medicine over 100 years ago. So I'm going to play this little quote from him. And just, okay. this is 100 years ago, and just imagine what they've been able to do with that. So check this out. In the future, we will eliminate the soul with medicine under the pretext of a healthy point of view. There will be a vaccine by which the human body will be treated as soon as possible directly at birth, so that the human being cannot develop the thought of the existence of soul and spirit. To materialistic doctors will be entrusted the task of removing the soul of humanity. As today, people are vaccinated against this disease or that disease. So in the future, children will be vaccinated with a substance that can be produced precisely in such a way that people, thanks to this vaccination, will be immune to being subjected to the madness of spiritual life. He would be extremely smart, but he would not develop a conscience, and that is the true goal of some materialistic circles. With such a vaccine, you can easily make the etheric body loose in the physical body. Once the etheric body is detached, the relationship between the universe and the etheric body would become extremely unstable, and man would become an automaton, for the physical body of man must be polished on this earth by spiritual will. So, the vaccine becomes a kind of a Rumanike force. Man can no longer get rid of a given materialistic feeling. He becomes materialistic of constitution and can no longer rise to the spiritual so I know that's a little dark to start off with and a little terrifying, but with that, I would like to bring the first second appearance from our friend uh, Agnew Wilson. Uh, since our last talk, he actually got his account taken down and had to start another one. And he didn't skip a beat, but he's been pushing back against the dominators with memes. And we had such a great la time last time, and uh, I'm glad we can have you back on because I feel like I could talk to you with about anything for hours. So um, how are you doing today, brother? Hey, how's it going? doing good. Um, we were talking just a little bit earlier, and you said you had a wild day today. You want to share a little bit about what happened today? <laughs> well, just, yeah, just briefly, uh, uh, like I was saying, I, uh, I'm helping my roommate who suffers from severe uh, uh, PTSD and clinical, clinical depression uh, and coming off of psych meds, and he's also an alcoholic and he's sober, and he's in his, he's in his, he's a senior citizen. So, um, and he's never had he's never had any psychedelic trip. So we decided to start microdosing him. And um, I'm using a psychologist that I know that does this in her practice. And so uh, we started microdosing him. And um, lo and behold, it's really working. Like he goes four days on and three days off. And <clears throat> he he takes enough just to feel a little buzz, and that's it. Like we're trying to figure out like where is a good you know way to measure it out it's kind of hard right so it's just kind of eye it every night and it's really working because he 
he like the first, the second night and the third night, I I was dosing him. He went to sleep right after, uh-huh. and so it didn't matter. Like it's like it's what happened is his brain is rewiring. So the most important part is that he suffers like in the morning between the time he gets up and like ten o'clock, he feels like he wants to die, and then at the same time between five and the time he goes to sleep, he feels he wants to die. His central nervous system was so shocked by Neurontin and Prozac. They like overdo like, you know, those friggin' psychiatrists and uh, so we, it, it's taken like a year to get him off of it. Wow. It was really hard, especially the Neurontin. Don't ever let anybody, any doctor try to prescribe you Neurontin. It's an unnecessary quackery. And it, all it does is it, sh- it shoots your central nervous system to shit. Right. And so we've been using this microdosing thing, and it's working because the most important thing is he's been waking up without mushrooms. Like this, the next three days, mm-hmm. without any mushrooms, he's waking up and feeling great in the morning, and then also in the evening he's feeling great. And the point is, is that he has to, I have to tell him, so listen, when you're feeling like shit, you have to tell yourself, remember these are just feelings, it's a psych, it, it's a chemical thing, your body and your brain are readjusting, don't make it mean anything. Just tell your brain it's okay. Let it pass by, you know, and rewire your brain because that's how the that's how the mushrooms. You have to help them help you. In other words, otherwise, it's you're just you know you're just doing nothing, and it's working. So, <laughs> so today, like I just told you earlier, just so today, so I got his second bag because we're doing four days on, three days off. And then, um, so I need to get a second bag. And <laughs> so I got a larger bag. And the top of this bag, there was this big old daddy mushroom. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and I ate it. So I haven't eaten, like the last time I ate mushrooms was in Hawaii. And uh, there, during the full moon, you can go to anywhere where there's green grass. Anywhere where there's green grass growing. You can pick psilocybin mushrooms. Really? And the yeah, the trick is is they grow on a full moon, so you get them like three or four nights in a row, maybe three nights. And when you pick them, before you pick it, you tap the the cap. Oh yeah. And that will drop more spores. Right. So if you remember where you where you tap that cap when you pick it, mm-hmm. if you come back into that area like about an hour, hour and a half later, there's more. There's more growing. Right. So. Uh, me and this dude went one night picking like a huge Folgers coffee can and ate them fresh in a, you know, in a, in a blender, you know, a, ju- a smoothie. Oh, wow. Like, wow. Like I, like, I probably ate like five or six, like a big, big amount, like five or six grams. Uh-huh. That, that, I think By that's way, amazing. That's what Terrence always says is Terrence McKenna says, if you're going to do it, like, you know, if you're going to do it, you know, then do it like that. Yeah, five grams uh, on a dark, silent room. Huh? He says to take five grams in a quiet, in a dark room and just examine yeah. what your mind does. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's fascinating that you and your friend are doing that. It reminds me of that documentary. Have you seen the documentary Fantastic Fungi? Yes, that's an incredible, incredible documentary. How about you give us I mean, a rundown? Give us a, huh? rundown. give us a rundown of what that documentary is about. It... it I'm not good at it. Just it's a basically it, it, anything that you want to know about fungi 
and their importance to the planet and the ecosystem and why they're here and what they do, and there's enormous benefits for consuming fungi. I mean, they're so important to the ecosystem. Without them, like I, it's a huge chain in our in our in our ecosystem. Like it's really important. They're like like as important as bees are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many health benefits. There's so many reasons. So many different types of fungi. And so many different types of mushrooms. The most fascinating thing that I find out of that entire world is the mycelium, which is that white. I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you've ever been digging in your garden, sometimes you'll find it in your garden. You'll dig up a big piece of earth. You'll turn it over from the shovel, and you'll see it looks like spider web. It's a right. lot better uh-huh. description. It looks like spider web, but a finer type of spider web yeah. running through the soil. It's called mycelium. And that shit is the stuff that all the trees and the bushes and everything, they, they, it's like their internet. Yeah. They will send through the mycelium. If there's a tree in a vicinity that's sick, another tree that's nearby will send it whatever that tree needs to heal itself right. through this stuff called the mycelium. Yeah, it's, I think it's the organic internet. I think it's wonderful. People think that yeah. plants are dumb, they're just stationary, but plants, in my opinion, are even smarter than us because they connect with each other and they know what the other one is missing and they give freely to the other one to heal it. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plants, listen, even it, hard as this may be for somebody to accept, even inert material like tin has consciousness in it. Mm-hmm. Plants have lots of consciousness in them. I talk to a tree that I know this tree has communicated to me through the way it's, it, it started sprouting its leaves. I and mean, it's a long story, but I know it. I, I have connected with this tree. I feel its energy. It's a tree in the park down the street. Uh-huh. I feel its energy. So definitely all plants, all, all that, they all have smart consciousness in it. Think about it. Like, If you get a tree that's growing near a building and the building has like an out, like a, a, an out sticking like uh, top to its roof that sticks out above, you know, past the line of the wall, mm-hmm. the tree will know that and it'll grow accordingly and grow out away from it. Yeah. I, I see it all the time with palm trees here in LA. They get up to the line of the of the building and then they see, oh, I have to, I have to bend this way. Even with other trees, they'll bend around other trees. The palms do it all the time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that is what I'm exactly what I'm talking to about. That is consciousness and it literally will respond to you. It responds to you. I mean, this is all science. Every, it's old science that, you know, play classical music for plants. They thrive, play, yeah. you know, you know, death metal, and they, like, will. Right, right, yeah. I think it's beautiful. I think there's so much to this world that we don't understand, that people are just looking at the surface topical level. But um, I, once again, I'm glad to have you back on. And last time, we kind of scooted through some things. Like, you were talking about, <clears throat> I was asking you how you woke up, and you kind of just briefly mentioned that you saw <laughs> a UFO. But I want to hear that story. Um, what yeah. happened, and, and what did you feel, and what, what went through your okay. mind? Yeah, like I, like I told Janet in the Deplorable Janet podcast, I told her this. She asked me, so what, 
what you know what makes you go and so i i started with the story of what happened to me when i was a kid first of all let me be clear like ufos so unfortunately uh, most okay so most people's understanding of ufos and and aliens come from a very 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 limited and most of the time very narrow-minded point of view and it comes from what we've seen in the press and in movies uh -huh. and and then what we've heard other people say mm -hmm. that's pretty much all for like at least like i would say 90 percent of the population that's that's their experience of what a ufo is and what an alien is yeah so you know that being said <clears throat> there are all different types of what we would call aliens. I mean, it's like, how can there be anybody out there on the planet that has half a brain that would think that out of the billions and trillions upon billions and trillions of uncountable galaxies, out of all of that, the only place in all of that is this tiny little speck, and that's the only place in this life. That's the only place, right? right. That's the only place out of the... That would be like saying, so out of the entire planet Earth, the only place where there's life that's going to exist is on my block in Hollywood. That's it. Yeah, it kind of goes like that metaphor that people say. Imagine just grabbing like a, a cup full of water from the ocean and not seeing yeah. anything and imagining or saying that there's no life. But you've only yeah, experienced... Yeah, there's no sharks. Yeah. Where are the sharks? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you have like a little tiny drop of water. Mm -hmm. So, so what so, was that experience that happened? So when I was a kid, back in 1967, I was five, and one day, my dad and his soon-to-be wife, uh, we all went to the local mountains here in Los Angeles to take a drive. <clears throat> it was near Christmas, and I, they were, uh, it was 1967, and we took this drive, and I can remember a lot about that day. I have a really clear memory from the time I was a year and a half old. Like, I have a clear memory of all, a lot of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Like, clear. So, we were on our way, we got up to the mountains, and we were driving along. <clears throat> and I remember, like, uh, to, the right, to the right of me, out my window, there was this huge drop-off, because we were, like, way up in the mountains, you know, a huge cliff type thing. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so, I can see... From my view, I could see across to another mountain, and I could see in between the two mountains, I could see, you know, like what would be the bottom of the floor, you know, the bottom of the, where all the trees are. Okay. So you can't see down that far. And I remember riding along, and my dad and my his soon to be wife were talking, and me looking out the window, and then I, the next time I went to look out the window, the entire scope of my vision was completely covered up like I couldn't see beyond outside the car I could only see this huge thing in front of me <clears throat> and so I'll, the only way I can describe what I saw was it looked like this massive wall of iridescent iridescent like not fish scale not lizard scale but some sort of like textured effect like that this entire wall of this it was all iridescent and it was 
I don't know if it was if it was rip, it was moving somehow. It was moving, and what was was so fascinating was that I could see up parts of it. I could see water flowing up. What up up? I could not flowing down. I could see water flowing upwards, and I was in awe of what I saw. I I I, I like I was in like. I had, and I got the sense that what I was looking at had consciousness and was alive. Did it look like a UFO or what did it look like? I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't see beyond the scope of my, it, it was so close. Mm. It was so close. It was so big that it, I couldn't, it was like, I was like, it was huge. It was massive. It wasn't this tiny little saucer in the sky this thing took up the entire space of all my vision okay and i remember and i was enthralled with it and then i remember thinking oh my god and i turned to my dad and, and his wife june and i said dad dad june june look and i had realized at that point in time the car had come to a stop and we were moving and they would not respond to me i kept saying dad dad And they both sat dead silent, staring forward. All right? Okay. Neither of them would move. Uh -huh. And then my next memory is the next day, and I'm standing at the window, looking out my bedroom window up at the sky, and I'm in this deep state of like, I don't know how to describe other than loss. I felt a deep state of loss. And, um, Uh, almost like abandonment, hmm. kind of like like I was abandoned. And I remember looking up at the sky and asking and asking them, when will you come back? Why did you leave? And then I have a fractured memory somewhere in all of that of me being in a room with a huge amount of kids my age and we're all being told something. All I can see in the memory, and I can still see it, if I look around in the memory, it's all these kids at my age, like five, uh -huh. or five years old, and we're being given information. Whoa. And it's super fractured. And so, and this deep sense of like loss. And so from there on out, so why that's significant for me? So, okay, so it's really, ooh, it's great, you know. Why that's significant for me personally was because right after that event, when I look into my childhood, I had always, like, as a kid, I had uh, Mad Magazine. I was into Mad Magazine like nobody's business. I collected all the magazines. I had all their paperbacks. I had all their special editions of their paperbacks. I, I, like, I followed them for 20-some years. And so in Mad Magazine... There always used to be, they have, they have as all the cartoons, and then in between the cartoons, the pictures, they would have in between the lines, there would be this cartoonist, Sergio Aragnes, and he would have this one recurring thematic cartoon that always caught my eye, and it, I always focused on it, and it was always a guy standing on the street corner holding a sign saying, the end of the world is near. Uh -huh. And that always, like, like, it took me to places like nobody's business. And so I sort of started at that time 
developing within myself my own idea that I was going to live to see the end of the world. And it wasn't until I learned of the book of Revelations and all of that stuff that I started saying, hmm, there might be something here. Now the way I see the end of the world is completely different the way I saw it then. So, so, and that's what I say that that particular experience took me, like it, it, it shifted my consciousness. So do you think that they were there to help you all or do you, what do you think they're Yeah, absolutely. Whatever that experience was, whoever they were, listen, even I, I, I cause listen, I had picked this thing apart. I picked it apart in therapy. I, you know, whatever happened to me, let's just say it wasn't anybody from outer space or another dimension. Let's just say, uh, I hallucinated it. Hmm. Um, let's just say that at the very worst and the very most base, the experience altered my consciousness. Right. It, it, it altered my consciousness in a way that I say is quote-unquote good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It put you on a, on a, what do you think it did? Like, do, do you, do you think you know any of the information that was bestowed on you or you think you just... <laughs> I, I always wondered what it was. I always wonder what, it, you know, before that, very early, just not too, not, not too much like earlier before that, like maybe six months later, my grandfather had died. And I was not, I never, God or Jesus, no, angels, nothing had ever come into my consciousness as a kid. My, we weren't anti, they weren't, they just didn't have God or anything in my, in my world. So when my grandfather died, I remember crying myself to sleep that night. And I was crying and crying in bed. And I can still to this day remember so clearly a literal chorus of angels were lullabying me to sleep in like some like they lullabied me to sleep. Wow. Like I could like it like 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 it was as loud and as clear in my head as like you can imagine. That's because I was broken hearted over him. Mm -hmm. So I had that experience that altered my consciousness because that led me to believe that there was something greater than myself. I didn't know to think to call it God or anything or an angel. I just, I call them angels now because in hindsight, I believe, I, I absolutely, I don't believe, I know angels exist. So that's what that was. I had an angelic experience as a little kid. Little kids are open to that far more than adults are. Right, and animals too. Uh, you know, yeah, and animals, because for the most part, little kids, their hearts are pure and clean mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. that regard. Yeah. On that level. And and not all little kids, are, you know, like, not all little kids are that receptive. Some little kids are. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something. And, some people have more uh, of an open or are, are more perceptive to see things like that, I think. Right. So that touched my heart in a way. I think that that gave me heart in my life. That gave me an underlying sense that like listen i see that what you're doing in your life is fucked up but you have a good heart like if i could give you my kid and say here's my baby will you take him for a day uh, i could trust you like that kind of heart mm -hmm. that's how i've always judged people that's how i've always gauged myself with people i've been with some low lights but they had big hearts mm -hmm. 
Interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so I, I do. I do. Yeah, I get those it. Those two experiences really molded everything. And my first rabbit hole that I ever started going down was the UFO phenomenon, you know? Yeah. And so by the time I was 14, I had, I was started reading rapidly about it. And I didn't ever, I never considered that experience that I just explained to you, I never considered that as a possibility of being a UFO or interdimensional contact until way later in life because like so many things that happened in my childhood, I sort of, I didn't bury them. I just expected, oh, well, that was normal. That, every, that was like, well, doesn't everybody have that experience kind of thing? So I never examined it. So after, nobody would ever ask. So after you did, you'd went through that experience and you did research in your later years, what do you think these aliens are? What do you think this, these entities well, are? Listen, there, there are many deaths... So, okay, so there are many, oh, there are as many theories as there are taco trucks out on the streets of L.A. There's lots of them. Um, from, so, it's in, so, from the books that I've read, um, I see it as this. So, it's interesting because the current book that I'm reading, the Illuminati, uh, Confessions of the Illuminati. Right, I want to uh, talk about that later. He dabbles right, he's dabbling right now into, the, you know, let me tell you, that Catholic Church, I always knew that they were damn no good. But let me tell you, they are no good. I mean, <laughs> wow. They're, he's dabbling into, you know, the whole source of the Anunnaki. Mm -hmm. I don't, and that's a really deep rabbit hole. Um, um, however, there's an apparent... Quote unquote, I, I, I abhor the term alien because it just makes everybody think of ET and it, 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 it does it stupid, it makes it stupid, it instantly stupefies the conversation by using the word alien. Yeah, you know, the way, I, in my opinion, it's just every you hear the word, and it's like, ah, ah, forget it. Yeah, through, because of culture, people, when you hear that word, they're already primed to think a certain thing, like Little Green Man and movies and right, stuff like that. Right, right. The way I see it is this. From, from the, the information that I've read and, and all the stuff that I've consumed, and I've, I had consumed lots of books. Like, I, I went down, I've read so many books. The way I see it is this. The universe is like this. There are life forms of all types that you can imagine in your mind, everywhere. And all these life forms are, are at, some are at the very lowest of evolution, from the lowest of pond scum, bacteria, you know, microbes, to the highest of evolution, to where people that are not even in their bodies, they're, right. they're higher dimensional beings. Yeah. There are all stages of evolution throughout the cosmos. There are all types, and what people don't and, and what people don't understand is that that's that's a given. If you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna the way I see it, if you're gonna have any reason in your mind, that's a given. Like that's just a given. There's the universe is huge. It's not just even there are multi universes. There are multiverses. So. That's how I see it. It's my personal opinion. This is how I see it. So that's how I see life in the cosmos. Now, 
when it comes to things like the graves, the little guys that we see in our, our emojis and stuff, and the ET goes, you know, you know, phone home, those little guys, mm -hmm. there's a lot of theory on these guys. There's a lot of theory. A lot of people like, there's a whole school of people that are saying these are demonic angels. So that very well could be that they are demonic angels. The only thing that I have to say about that is that demonic angels don't fly in flying saucers. Demonic angels are of the spirit world. They do not fly in flying saucers. Right. So if they're a demonic angel, damn well better believe they're not flying around in aircraft. So let's just clear that up right away. Demonic angels do not fly in aircraft. They don't need to. <laughs> so they are of the spirit world. Okay. So they don't need they don't need aircraft. They can travel faster than the aircraft. They don't need it. They don't they don't make aircraft to fly around in. They can materialize as as anything they want to. They can become anything that they want to. Most of the time these demonic angels materialize as things that would entice us, as things that would trick us into believe that they love us, that they 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 like to appear more. Satan appears more as an archangel than he does anything else. He'll appear as Jesus Christ to you. He's the great deceiver. Right. And it's the same with these angels. So if they're demonic angels that are flying around, okay, so okay, so I can't talk to you on that camp. I can only talk about what I have learned from a lot of really reliable, what I would call reliable resources. And it seems to stand that these grays are here for different reasons. And it's hard to tell because apparently there's maybe eight different like varieties of these grays. Mm -hmm. Many people say that they are here in our solar system. Other people say that they come out of the earth. You know, you know, that whole inner earth world is like open to, you know, speculation for me. I don't doubt any of that. I know that the solar system has had lots of inhabitants. I mean, the Mars is littered with all kinds of structures. So is the moon. Incredible structures. So I know that it's not, if that's the case for Mars and the moon, so what's left in the rest of our solar system? So... Many people say that these grays are here um, to keep our nuclear facilities from, um, they're trying to keep us from having nuclear war. That's the biggest message I've ever taken away is that most of this activity for the most part is they don't, they cannot have, See, when you have, if, if we were to have a major nuclear war and everybody like bombed each other and the whole world went crazy, that nuclear fallout doesn't just stay here. It travels through the solar system and it travels out into space. And it's, it's, it's as deadly to life here as it is anywhere else. It's as deadly to life anywhere else as it is here. Mm -hmm. So apparently there have been these you know, people have learned that these, uh, some of these creatures have had experiences on other planets where they have had nuclear wars, and they're trying to keep that from happening here. 
The point is, is that they can't actually overtly intervene because that goes against the sort of like karmic cosmic rule that you have to allow a creature its evolutionary process. Right. You have to allow it its freedom to have its process of evolution. And at the same time, they, you know, so that's, that's the biggest takeaway that I've taken away in the last 40 years of reading it. All the people that I've read, all the reports, Whitley Strider is a really good author. That really was a really solid, that was a really good two books he wrote on, on the Greys. And um, that really was, those were two of the best books I've read. That's very interesting. Um, that's very reminiscent to, I think, the ideas that I've developed. Um, I feel that it does have something to, because for, like you said, for a while when I went through my teens and even recently, I didn't really research into aliens because, like you said, <clears throat> it was just this silly thing that people uh, sensationalized. And I thought, I'm not going to look into that. Why am I going to waste my time on that if I can't, if I don't have any real uh, proof or information? So I never looked right. into it. But as I, I started researching other topics and I got more into spirituality, um, I started listening to this one guy on YouTube. His name is uh, Woodward TV, W-O-O-D w-a-r-d tv and he puts a bunch of very interesting videos and he has one called what you need to know about falling ufos in this video basically he tells his idea of what i believe happened throughout history if you read the book of enoch you realize that there are fallen angels and that they came to earth and they taught man how to do witchcraft how to create weaponry how to create makeup how to deceive others <clears throat> And I think these are the fallen angels. Um, they're, they are, like you said, they can be, uh, um, what, do you, what did you say, interdimensional. They don't have a body. They're like on the ethereal realm. They're basically right. kind they're of... Spirit, on the spirit world. Yeah, they're made of lights or like something else. So they right. don't need... They're made of the spirit world. They're the same... Spirit is the same thing in both light and dark. Mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no differentiate. Spirit isn't separate from that evil. That's a part. They're a part of God. Mm -hmm. It's just differentiated. It's just, it's differentiated. They're just reversing God's will. But God allows that to happen because God allows His children to have their freedom. That's just you know. That's the one thing. People, I understand that you know. People have to understand that these demons, they're a part of our universe for a reason. They're a teaching tool. Right. They teach us righteousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, through <laughs> all their evil else, things that they how do. How yeah. could we learn righteousness without them? They're a teacher. Right. Yeah. So like you were saying, like they're not physical. So And like you said also that they manifest. And I feel what the aliens are, they are these fallen angels that came, came to men throughout all time in different cultures. They went to the Aztecs as a Quetzalcoatl. They went to the Hindus as Krishna and... They manifested and created these uh, false doctrines that people believe. That's what I think that happened. Right. Well, that and what you're speaking and the aliens that you're talking about, the aliens. So remember, there, there are all types of aliens. So there are, and I've seen the categories, and I trust this. There are there are beings that look like insects. There have insect features. There are beings that looked. There are beings that look just like us. The Pleiadians. Uh, mm -hmm. There are other that look just like us. There are taller versions of us that are like nine feet tall. Then there, okay, so there's that. There are the Dracos, and in the Dracos, there's all sorts of subdivisions of the reptilians. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other 
that's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, and I think when we're we start in that classification, <laughs> what's important is that not all aliens are bad. Mm-hmm. There are there's a thing called the inter, there's the International Galactic Confederation. That is like it's like the same. It's think about Star Wars. Think about the Jedi Knights. That that is a perfect example of a, a blueprint, a, a template of how our universe really is. There are a bunch of good guys, good people out there from planet from other planets, and a lot of bad people out there from other planets. Mm-hmm. And the demons that most people are talking about in all the things that you're talking about in the uh, in the biblical times, what most people are referring to are the Anunnaki. Yeah. That apparently come from Nibiru. And that is apparently one of the planets in our solar system that we isn't, you know, nobody acknowledges, you know, the scientific establishment doesn't acknowledge that it's the Anunnaki. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. Right. Yeah, I think all of this stuff is interesting, and I'm sure other people right now that are listening are probably rolling their eyes and are saying, these guys are wackos, but do, yeah. do some research because there's definitely something to it. And then when you tie it in yeah. with ancient cultures and their myths and biblical story, there's definitely something to it. Yeah. The more, you, the more I have listened, I, it's not, so I, I appreciate people rolling their eyes. That's the one thing that I will always give people. Be skeptical, please if you'll if, be skeptical if you'll only do one thing will you do this will you check out what i'm saying to see if it's true for you right because contempt prior to investigation is one of the greatest character defects a person can have yeah oh that's not true okay well have you have you read what i read have you read the reports have you consumed the information that have you done that and then say that to me okay i get it but you can't just come at me and say, ah, right. right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What research have they done to disprove you? They're just coming right. off of their own, the top of their head, just saying, just right. to disprove you. But look at the evidence and look at the research and, and tie things from, all, you have to not just read some books. You have to read about everything, Lots history, yeah, archaeology, all kinds of things that yeah. you tie it in together. Because that speaks to the Anunnaki that we're just now talking about. Like, I'm just now coming into an understanding about the Anunnaki with this lab, this um, this current you know confessions of the Illuminati because the way he talks about the Illumin uh, the Anunnaki is completely he come he mentions them in a he's he mentions them in a different way so it's like hmm there's got to be something to the Anunnaki here then because mm-hmm. you know the references to the in all the recent books I've read on the um, history of Freemasonry. Uh, uh, like that had a lot, like they were brought up in that. It, they're an important part of the puzzle of our past. Yeah. For sure. That gets pushed aside because nobody wants to believe anybody comes from another place. It's just like, I, that's the brainwashing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the brainwashing has been superb. Right. And they've done a beautiful job. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And I think you can also tie it in this idea that whenever there was the war in the Middle East, a bunch of the American people were going into the museums and destroying ancient ancient uh, knowledge and uh, books and information that gives you more uh, proof of this about uh, fallen angels or ancient aliens and stuff like that. Well, the Rothschilds, in particular, during the fall of uh, uh, Baghdad, when we went in, you know, 
and attacked back in uh, Operation Desert Storm. The Rothschilds had a, they had a, they had some people that went into the National Museum there. I read all about it. Went into the National Museum there and specifically took certain things about uh, certain tablets from Mesopotamia. They're listen. <laughs> the asking the Rothschild about the Anunnaki and you get them in a, in a room by themselves, they'll tell you all about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people can roll their eyes about it, but like these people believe it. Right. And the people that believe it are the ones that you need to care about because these are the people that have the, they own you. Mm -hmm. They own your consciousness right now. And if you can't see that, then that's, that's sad. That's really sad. Yeah. Because, you know, these people, they, they, that's what they went in there for. All, I read a whole thing. It was all about all this information pertaining to the Anunnaki. Yeah, when you talk about all this occult stuff, like you said, um, the Rothschilds went in there to get that information. But this goes even yeah. further back. Hitler and Napoleon and Queen Elizabeth, they were all into the occult. It, oh, it's yeah, not talked all, about. Yeah, they're but all yeah. part of that cabal. Yeah, the yeah, Nazis went to Egypt to try to find all this sacred information from there, and they stole a lot of it. And Napoleon, too, they say that he, he was the one who, I think, burned the uh, Library of Alexandria. He just stole all the books first, and then he burned it and, right. and said it yeah. was missing. But, but, yeah. And you know where most... They're all thieves amongst themselves. And you know where all of that stuff has ended up is in those Vatican vaults. Yeah, yep. That's where it all sits now. Yeah, people don't know, but under the Vatican, there's miles and miles of books that oh, have yeah, never yeah. seen the light of day. And who knows what's in there? Who knows what knowledge oh, is yeah. in there? I, I, like, it's literally the, uh, the uh, gates of hell. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess so. I guess we can conclude that I, I partly believe that aliens are part of the whole fallen angel thing. And, and like you said, there's good ones, which I believe are probably the good angels that are working on God's behalf. But... Um, let's yeah, and there's there's beings that look like us. There are all kinds of beings out there that know that the planet right now is in distress. They have ways of interceding. There, so for all the demons that are attacking this earth right now, there's that five times the amount of angels and mm -hmm. good beings that are that got our back. Yeah, because if you if you read the Bible, uh, it says huh? that because if you read the Bible, it says that Lucifer only took a third of the angels. So there's two thirds of good angels. Yeah, I mean it's like I said, without evil, this would be a static twilight zone, outer limits, upside down, backwards world without evil. Think about it. Yeah. If everything were static and you were constant with no push or pull. No, it would be lopsided. It would be completely unbalanced. Right. You can't experience the good without knowing the bad. There is no light without any dark. Right. The, the great thing is, is that the light is always just a little bit greater than the dark. Yeah. Oh, if that's the mathematics of it. Yeah, I think it was... That's not, I, that's not my theory. That's the mathematics of it. I think it was Martin Luther King. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this. But he, some, somebody said something like, you can go into a dark room and light a small candle, and that light will, will spread around the whole room, and you can see. But you, can't, exactly. you cannot go into a bright room and bring any darkness and expect that darkness to grow, because light is always much more powerful than the dark. It's always more powerful than the dark. And I keep reminding people now when they get, 
down and they see everything that's happening outside in their sensual world of sight, sound, hair, taste, touch, I remind them, listen, remember, not only this is a war of consciousness, but, and, and don't take anything seriously. Remember, this isn't, this is a war in your consciousness. Don't attach yourself to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, brother. So, um, man, we can just go on any kind of tangent. We just kind of jumped everywhere. But I had a couple uh -huh. of notes here that I wanted to ask you. Because yesterday, yeah. last time that we spoke, when we ended, uh, we were talking on, on private. And you told me a very interesting thing, that you met somebody who knew Terrence McKenna. And um, Terrence, yeah. he's one of oh my... Oh, my gosh. He's one of my... So, let me say, so Terrence, what were you going to say? No, I'm just going to, I was just going to quickly say that he's one of my heroes. He's one of the main reasons why I started doing this podcast. But please tell us oh, the story. Oh, really? Yeah. Please tell us the story. Yeah, he's, listen, so um, I, so, so I, okay, so I first found out about Terrence McKenna from a guy that gave me a, a tape of music, and on the music tape, you know, we used to listen to music on tapes, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it had Terrence McKenna on it, had, you know, um, he has all this music and all this visual stuff that you can get, and uh, He's, uh, he's, listen, the guy blew my mind because the way he talked, mm -hmm. the way he was, you know, he's, people call him an American ethnobotanist or something, I think, something like that. He's, he promotes the use of psychedelics, the natural use of psychedelics. And, um, and so, so I first heard about him on, on this tape of music. So I, I, I asked my friend, can you get me any more? And so he got me some more. And I was, I was amazed by him. His, uh, his whole world um, enriched mine. Yeah. And so I was in Hawaii back in the 90s, <clears throat> living there for a while. And uh, one day I was uh, down in Kona. And I went, I went to this place where you're not supposed to go swimming. And I went to this place where you're not supposed to go swimming. And there was this dude there that was uh, swimming. And uh, his name was Ananda. And we started talking, and uh, pretty soon he said, well, listen, I'm going to go. He said, I'm going to go up to my friend's house. You want to go? And I said, sure. <clears throat> so we get in the car, we go up to this place, and he, uh, it's called Magic Mountain. In Kona, it was called Magic Mountain. And so it was Terrence McKenna's ranch. And so um, we went up in the daytime, and... <clears throat> Uh, the people that were there, nobody was there, so we just, you know, we left. And he said, well, let's go up later tonight. I said, okay, so later on I met with him and we went up that night. So I went up with him in the dark. <laughs> and Hawaii is really amazing because at night on the big island, uh, you can see trillions of stars, like you can reach out to them. And uh, it's, it's so beautiful. And so we're cruising on up this huge piece of property above Kona in the dark and it's all lava rock and uh and, and we're cruising up we're talking listening to music and i say stop he said what i said stop the car he stopped the car i said wait a second i gotta get out <laughs> i don't know why i asked him to stop and we got out and i just wanted to look around mm -hmm. and i for some reason walked around the back side of his jeep and i was looking at these lava rocks that seemed to be like in this like like a configuration that just didn't seem natural i was looking at him and then i realized 
I looked, I, I could see in the light, because in the full moon, I could see, oh my God, there's a hole. And I said, do you have a flashlight? He said, yeah. And so he gave me this flashlight, and then we turned the flashlight on, and then we looked in the hole, and at the bottom of this like two-foot hole is this gigantic glass eyeball. What? And it's fucking staring up at you. Oh my God. And like a huge, like the size of a... Like a baseball, like a huge ass fucking glass ball. Okay. And I said, "Oh my god!" He said, "Oh, you." He said, "So, so." Ananda said, "Oh, dude, how'd you do that?" I said, "What?" He said, "How'd you find this?" Because he was tripping out. Because he explained to me. So Terrence has all over his property. This is at that time. I don't know if it's still there now. I'm sure it is. He had he had dug holes where he put eyeballs in them like that. Why? <laughs> Why did he do that? Why not? Hmm. Right? That's weird. Why not? And the fact that I stopped while we're riding up the hill, and I said, stop here. Mm -hmm. And we were both blown away. Hmm. He said, I don't know. That's really a trip. He said, well, that makes sense because that's why they call this Magic Mountain. So we went up there, and the place is, is so... Terrence's house had, he had a, um, a telescope. He was really into telescopes. The Big Island of Hawaii has the Keck telescope at the top, which mm -hmm. is, has, it's one of the best telescopes in the world because the way that uh, Hawaii is situated on the side of the planet, it has, it, there's less atmosphere down near the equator where it's situated, Hawaii. So it has a better view of the sky. So he has this incredible uh, telescope that you have to, walk inside this like encased area up these stairs and then you can see there's a seat in this in it's a half like encased glass dome and then it's covered on the top so it's covered from the rain and stuff and uh and you sit in this thing and then you operate the telescope it's this huge ass telescope so that was the first thing that i saw and then the next thing that i, I realized was that in hawaii uh, old school Hawaii, they built, the Hawaiians built um, everything on a lava rock. Like the lava rock walls in Hawaii, there are walls that were built by the Hawaiians nearly 900 years ago that had withstood everything. And the Hawaiians, they didn't use, they had no tools, no, they had no hand tools, that no carving tools. They did have tiny little, uh, what, tiny little abs that they would use, but there were tiny little finger-held abs that they could use. Uh, they had no other cutting instruments of any type. And they would make, they made these friggin' walls that were like, they're mind-blowing. They're perfectly packed lava rocks together in such a way it forms a beautiful, perfect line. Like if you look down the line of the wall, it's perfect. And they're, they're made that they never fall down. They never... Nothing ever happens to them. And so Terrence's house, part of his house, was made like this old school Hawaiian style with lava rock. Wow. And, you know, with grass around it. It literally looked like uh, the Flintstones house in the Flintstones. <laughs> like, literally, because it had a cutout for the window. Uh -huh. And, it, you know, there, there was no, like, glass because it's Hawaiian. Okay. So the window was just a cutout of lava rock. Hmm. It was incredible. It was, like, incredible. He wasn't there at the time, and um, I so I met his daughter, 
and his uh, the son, you know, her brother wasn't there, and I met his daughter and her boyfriend, mm -hmm. and we just hung out for a little while. I, I, you know, I was like, I didn't understand it was Terrence McKenna's until we left, because he didn't tell me that it was. He expected that I knew for some reason, so I didn't understand it was Terrence's until I left. And somehow it came up in the drive down that that was Terrence. I, oh my God, that was Terrence McKenna's. Like, yeah, that was Terrence McKenna's. Oh my God, he did. And so I didn't tell you. I was like, oh my God, I misunderstood you. So. So yeah, that was my whole experience. You know, the fact that I met some dude named Ananda uh -huh. that took me there, and then I had that experience with those, the glass eyeball in the hole, you know, <laughs> was a, a magical experience indeed. He called it Magic Mountain. Yeah, that's amazing. Like I said, Terrence McKenna is one of the main reasons I started this. And like you said, the way he talks is just so captivating and so entertaining. And he's so yeah. smart. And he ties so many things together. And the way he talks makes you feel like you're tripping. Like he may, he has your brain going in such a way that you're like, wow, just captivated. Absolutely. Yeah, and, he's a very captivating individual. And that brings and, me uh, to my next uh, thing. Cause that brings me to my next thing. Because it's so weird that you met that guy named Nanda. And then... A-N-A-N-D-A, Ananda. It means bliss. Because then you also mentioned, we've, we've been talking off the air, we talk, uh, we, we text each other, and you told me that you've been learning from this guy named Yogananda. So we, Paramahansa Yogananda. Yeah, so I, th that's a little weird, just that that sounds similar, but can you tell us who Yogananda is, please? Paramahansa Yogananda is a manifested man, a master from India, and he came from India to America in 1920 and founded the Self-Realization Fellowship Organization. And so this man, so I, like I was telling you before we got on this, so all my life I've searched for God and I have searched high and low. I told you I came close to becoming a Muslim. I was an acolyte in church, in an Episcopalian church. I went to Catholic church. I was a Buddhist for two years and chanted Namiyo Rengekyo. I did EST, which was Earhart seminar trainings when I was a kid. As a young man, I did the Forum Leaders Program and did the Forum. I did LifeSpring. I did Dianetics. I even went to Scientology and tried that. Was like, you know, um, and then I read all these books. And you know, the way I came to I started getting interested in God was through primarily, oddly enough. UFO books, because in a lot of the UFO books that I read, a lot of these beings talked about God and talk about their whole messages is that before there can be anybody of anybody that's going to ever come here to give us any new knowledge or anything, that we have to clean up our own alleys. We have to clean up our backyard. We can't be at war with each other. They're not going to come here. Mm -hmm. You know, demonic ones will come here, but not good ones. They don't want to land here. They don't want to come here. Mm -hmm. So the only, so people, so their message is if you want to start a revolution on the planet to make things better, then start at home inside your own house, right. inside your own body. Mm -hmm. Start cleaning up your own ignorance, your own fear, your own hate, your own doubt, your own mistrust. Start cleaning that up first. Because you can't go anywhere else in the universe until you start at home right. first. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest lesson that I... So because of that, that resonated with me. And that's why I decided to start looking for God. So I looked and I looked and I looked. And so 
I had heard about Paramount Hatsu Yogananda about 20 years ago. A friend of mine had one of his little booklets and he would read it to me. And I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. Everything he read to me really resonated. I didn't understand then who Paramount Hatsu Yogananda was. I just thought he was this dude from India with long hair that had the international headquarters here in LA and he was from India and that he talked about God. And that's all I thought about. And so, um, one day I came across at the library, excuse me, I came across the library, a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. Now I had read the Bhagavad Gita before written, uh, translated by somebody else. What is and, the Bhagavad Gita? Can you... The Bhagavad Gita is a portion of the Mahabharata, which is a, is a, which is a, is, is a huge Hindu epic that was, nobody knows when it, these, this whole thing was written. It's 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 anti-historical. It's so old. So it comes from the Mahabharata, and it's a portion of the Mahabharata. It's a discourse between the Lord, then for them Lord Krishna and his and his devotee Arjuna. Yeah, Arjuna. A -R yeah. Arjuna. A R J U N A. Yeah. And so the Bhagavad Gita is that specific book out of the Mahabharata. So there's other books in the Mahabharata. Mm -hmm. I've read the entire thing, and that's how I learned about the Bhagavad Gita and, and read its translations that way. Mm -hmm. Well, this time it came across the translations by Paramahansa Yogananda. And so I thought, hmm, I've been thinking about, because I had been thinking earlier, you know, a few weeks before, I want to read the Bhagavad Gita again. And so there was, you know, by accident, you know, there are no accidents. And there it was, and so I read it. So as I started reading it, it became, it became really clear that what was written in there deeply resonated with me. The writing, um, this man for being from India, his command of the English language, and I have read so many books, and his command of the English language is superb. It's without mistake. It's 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 it's, it's beyond. And so I started reading it, and um, he started talking about Kriya Yoga, and um, he started talking about the benefits of Kriya Yoga and how it's related to. Uh, he calls it. Um, it it's a quicker way to uh, know God. What is it? Kriya Yoga? How do you spell that? K-R-I-Y-A. Kriya. Yoga. Yoga. And then what's the name of the guy? Can you spell it for the listeners so they can look him up? P-A-R-A-M-A-H-A-N-S-A. Paramahansa Yoga. Y-O-G-A-N-A-N-D-A. Yoga Nanda. Okay. And so... So, so this book started talking about God in a way that deeply resonated with me. And I started, and so and I wanted to practice this particular form of Kriya Yoga because, you know, it doesn't require yogic uh, postures. You don't have to like, you know, get all bent out of shape. You're only required to sit in a straight up back chair there's no, you know, no contortions or anything. None of that is required. That's the, one of the biggest beauties. And, um, and, and so he 
was so there are these so they give these things these called they're called lessons and SRF does and so I knew somebody my psychologist um, that I had stayed in touch with I remember I texted him I said oh my god I'm reading this book you know the Bhagavad Gita is talking about Kriya Yoga do you know anything about it and he turned out that he had been practicing it for 40 years and so he told me well just call the self-realization fellowship and you know you know order the lessons and pay them for the money and start taking the lessons. And the lessons last for three years. And you get a lesson packet in the mail every two weeks. And uh, the lessons go over everything. And so I started taking the lessons. This was in 2013. So by this time, I was ready to receive these lessons. I wouldn't have been ready before. I definitely know that I was in a place in my life where I wanted to know God somehow, and I somehow, I just, I was, God heard the call, and so he answered, and so I started taking these lessons, and um, uh, I had been, so I had been using meth since I was 17, I started shooting drugs when I was 17, and I was shooting drugs until 2012, and then I started, I, I started smoking it, and I didn't stop smoking it until 2016. So I started this yoga practice doing meth, right? <laughs> and I did it for three years. And I got to a point where, first of all, in spite of my drug use, and in spite of not yet meditating, in spite of all of that, taking the lessons was changing my consciousness in a way that I had hard factual evidence that my behavior was changing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I, and I didn't notice it right away because it's very slow and it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's cumulative and, you know, you're there every day with yourself. It wasn't until I started hearing people tell me, wow, you seem to have changed. And well, you know, and things like that. Um, and I had a little time under my belt that I could see, oh my God, so I got to this point one day where I said, okay, listen, Agnew, if you're serious about doing this with God, then you can't have a yoga practice and you can't have a meth habit. I don't care. <laughs> right. It's just not going to happen. So the meth habit has to go. I was like, okay. So for me, um, I knew it. I, I had given up by the time I turned 50 that I was ever going to be able to stop doing meth. I was just sort of like, well... I guess I'm never going to get it out of my system and I'll probably die doing it somehow. And uh, so I just stayed stopped all of a sudden. And now it's been, I'm going on my sixth year, sixth year without it. And um, so I started meditating soon after that. So maybe like about a year after that. I, so it, see, for me, the, the hardest thing to do is to meditate. I don't, like anybody, the idea of sitting still with my eyes closed, my back straight, you know, my chest out, my shoulders back, just sitting in a, with your spine straight, that's the that's really important. And sitting there and doing this practice to stop my thoughts, 
is the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing I've ever taken up in my life. Right. Is this practice. Right. right. I think it's hilarious because so, people work out and they do all these things. They, they, they run. They do all these things like nothing. But the most difficult thing to do is to do nothing. How hard is it right. to sit down and try to empty your mind? It's the most difficult thing. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. So I, so I, I was like, and I know it works. And like, I'm one of those lazy people. I know it works for you. And because I know it works for you, then I don't need to try for me. I'll just let it go. Thanks. Mm. That's how I sort of always did the harder things in life. I left that to the adults. That's what left me as a, basically as a, as a 18 year old boy in a man's body until I was, you know, 60. So, so, so my, my attitude started shifting in, now in hindsight, it started shifting. So I started to say, okay, so I'm going to meditate. What I'm going to do, I'm going to just, I'm going to meditate for three fucking minutes. Mm -hmm. And if I'll just get, I'll get through three minutes and then I'll, 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 I'm done for the day. And I did that every day and then I would up it up, 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 up pretty soon and I'll, up to an hour. Because right. I, I, you know, I'm, my practice, I'm, you know, it suggested that I meditate in the morning and meditate in the evening. And meditating at night is just still a struggle for me. Um, and so, I started meditating and my life, literally my inner life started changing in ways that I thought it never could. Mm -hmm. And believe me, I haven't yet meditated. I haven't been successful in getting my mind, my thoughts slowed down. There's a, there's a breathing exercise that we're taught to slow your mind's thought because you try to think it's restless thoughts are constant. Mm -hmm. So the point, the point of the meditation that I'm being taught is to get to a place of consciousness that we go to in unconsciously when we go to sleep. Yeah. To the same, when you're in deep meditation, you're completely disconnected from what you're hearing in your outside world. Somebody can touch you and you won't feel it for the most part. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're literally disconnected from the five sensory telephones. Mm -hmm. So that's what, the, that's what Kriya Yoga teaches is how to literally, physically, with your mind and your breath, disconnect from those sensory inputs so that you're able to focus your mind on the, on the object, which is God, in the meditation. Right. And then by that way, that's how you can go into deep meditation. I'm so far from that. And the point about me telling you that is that I know all this, and this is the only undertaking that I've ever taken in my life where the struggle is real. It's a struggle, and yet it's a joy to struggle. Like, I can't believe that I can say I find joy in the struggle because I know personally for myself that I found the quote-unquote, I was always telling myself, I need to find that man on the mountain. I literally found the man on the mountain. He's from the Himalayas. And so... He's, he, uh, he's my guru, he's, you know, he's my master, and I follow his teachings because I literally have found for me personally what I was always looking for. And he asks nothing of me. They're, they don't ask anything of me except for my obedience to follow his suggestions if I want what he has. That if I, only if I want what he has. No other reason. And it's not put upon me. And I don't feel... I don't feel like I have to. It's a joy because I'm actually finding in my heart and in my life, I can see that I've been able to finally grow up and become a man 
in the last couple of years. And I, I owe that all to this practice. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have been, I would have, I would be in, we wouldn't be on this, we wouldn't be having this podcast. That's so beautiful. I think that that's what I'm looking for in this show. How do we help other people see that? Because like you said, it took you a long time, but until you started really putting in the effort, until you realized there was a path and you started walking it and you put that effort, even as hard as it can be, your life right. has changed like 180 degrees, completely right. different now. And that's what I'm trying to get people to realize, that there is a something spiritual to this world. Yeah, I want, yeah, I want people to know that too. Listen, I always believed in the power of God for you. I believed in the power of God for you and your life and for her and her life and for them and their life. I did not believe in the power of God for me and my life because I, you don't know, I have fucked up. I don't, I haven't earned that kind of power. And that's a lie that we've been taught to think and to believe that God doesn't love us because we've, quote-unquote, misbehave. There is no such thing as sin except for the intent to commit sin. You can make mistakes, and God forgives us all the time. He gave us complete freedom to be who we are. That's why he's not, he can intercede in all of this. That's why he won't. He loves us so much that he won't intercede in all of this hell that's going on, because number one, he doesn't want us to get attached to it. And number two, there's nothing to really be afraid of. And number three, we're all going to be okay. But the biggest point is he doesn't want to intercede because that would take away our freedom. Right. We would then see that God is here to save us. He, in other words, he gave us the freedom. He gave us freedom. And that's the biggest thing that we have is our freedom. And the most important thing that I've learned so far out of all of this is that God is not anywhere outside of me. God is literally in me. He became an individualized soul as me. All of us are individualized aspects of God. We are all the same light as God. We are all of the same making. The father and the mother, we are all their children. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful, brother. Yeah, and like you said, I completely agree with what you said. Freedom, ultimate freedom is the freedom to make your own mistakes, the freedom to choose what you want to do. And whatever you choose, then that's on you. That's your karma. And I right. think it's beautiful how you change your life. And that's what I want to try to get people to do. There is something spiritual to this world. And just work on it. Like you said, you did three minutes a day. Just do that, right. people. Pray or meditate or sun gaze or do something do to connect. Do anything to take yourself inside because it's inside in the dark is where reality exists mm -hmm. if you want to know where reality is it's inside in the dark right inside in the dark mm -hmm. that's why when jesus said i can't quote it right but when you want to pray go into the into your closet so that nobody sees you mm -hmm. that's what he's saying he doesn't mean to go inside of a closet and nobody see you he means go in your inner darkness by closing your eyes by literally closing your eyes, you literally are literally in the dark yeah. with God mm -hmm. because you're we're a part of God. So that's the best place to find God is to go inside. And we're taught through our senses 
to look for everything on the outside. It's a sensory world, and it's it's an illusion. It's an illusory world. The real world is the spiritual world. People always say, oh, this reality, the only reality is God. This is all an illusion. If anybody can take any way from this tonight, is just remember that none of this is real. It's as real as you give it credit to be real and to hurt you and to scare you. Right. That reminds me of this one parable. I don't know exactly how it goes, but it's something along the lines that there were gods and um, they came to earth and they realized that man was super powerful, super happy, and they had everything. But they were very um, disrespectful to the gods. They didn't acknowledge the gods. So the gods said, we're going to take away this happiness and this joy from humans and we're going to hide it somewhere else. So they started discussing among themselves, where should we put this? And one of them mentioned, we should put it in the depths of the ocean. Uh, that way they'll have a hard time reaching it. And then one of them said, yeah, we could do that, but they'll eventually build machines where they can go underwater and they'll find it. So another one mentioned, what about we hide it in a different planet far away? And the first one also said, yeah, well, they'll eventually have the technology to get there. And then finally, the last one said, how about we hide it inside of themselves? That way they'll be reaching and searching around the whole world, around the whole universe, in the water. But the last place they'll forget to look is it's inside. And that's what you're saying. Just go inside in the dark, do the shadow work. And right, that's where right. you find God. There's a, there's a parable about musk deers. Musk deers have a tendency, they have, you know, where musk comes from, there's a sap that's, in, that's right. Under, I don't know where it is on their body, but it gives off the scent of musk. And they will run around all over the mountains looking for the other musk deer that's giving off the scent, and they never realize it's themselves that they're chasing for. Wow. It's the same idea. We're, what we're chasing is not outside of us. It's inside of us. Mm -hmm. The only place that you need to find reality and God is inside of you. And nobody, you don't even need Paramahansa Yogananda. You don't need, you don't need a priest you don't need a shaman. You don't need mushrooms. You don't need uh, crystals. You don't need anything to go inside of you. Right. That, I mean, that's our God-given right. Mm -hmm. you, don't need to end, you don't need any of that, what I just talked about, to go inside of you and to, and to quietly think about God and to tell God, oh, what I do in my meditation is constantly reveal thyself. Right. Reveal thyself. Right. That's... Or I love you. Mm -hmm. I love you. And not... Not not saying it in my head, feeling it in my heart over and over and over. Because God is, he's right here. He's not out there. He's here. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He can be. He's everywhere. He. We are in. We are in him. The best analogy is that I am the little wave. On the ocean of God, the wave and the ocean are one. The wave cannot exist without the ocean. The wave, the ocean can exist without the wave. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's fucking Look, it, That's the easiest way to think about your relationship with God at all times. You're a little wave on his big ocean. You're a little tiny wave on that big-ass ocean of God. God is behind you. He's got you. You're floating on his love. You're a child of his. There is nothing on this planet that can hurt you. There is no fallen demon that can take your soul. Your soul is immutable. It's unburnable. It's undrownable. Nothing can enslave it. Your consciousness is not your, is not your soul. 
Your consciousness is your pseudo-soul. Your consciousness can be enslaved. Your soul, nobody can touch it. Not Satan, nobody. It's God. That's a part of God. That's a part of him. Nothing can touch you. So in this world that we're seeing now with all this shit that's going on, they're winding it up. You know, this is the month and year for chaos for these for these demon bitches, you know, that's why 2022, two, 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 this is the year they up the chaos going. Mm. That's why we're seeing all this stuff now. It's just booming out of control now. <laughs> Remember that God is underneath all of this. He's got a back. He has your back. There's nothing that can get you. That actually, the worst thing that can get you is your fear. That reminds me of something that, um, a couple of years ago there was, I was traveling. I would think it was in Austin and, um, some Jehovah's Witness were around downtown, like trying to proselytize to people. And so they come up to me and they say, uh, do you want to know about God? And I said, let me ask you this. What is God's name? And they, were, they said, Jehovah. And I said, what does it say in the book of Exodus? God says, I am that I am. So God's name essentially is I am. So you are God. I am. He's inside of you. It's, it's in the Bible. It's, um, it's just semantics and words, but right. that's what he says. His name is I am. So if I say I right. am, that's me. That's, he's inside of me, inside of the rocks, inside of the trees, inside of everything. And I think I, I just love this conversation, brother. And I, we're going to have you back on again because we didn't even talk about okay. any of the things that um, I had written down. But I love this yeah, conversation. I still, yeah, because I, I have them right in front of me. Well, I definitely want to talk to you about the Tavistock book and the Illuminati book because... I'm telling you, there's uh, stuff that I really wanted people to go out and read the books. I'm telling you, if people will just read some books, if they could just... It's one thing about watching YouTube. Okay, I get it. Books, when you read it, it sticks in your mind. Mm -hmm. It educates you. Like, listen, most of the books I read... (laughs) I I have a retention of maybe 60, 70% of it. Out of what I retain, I'll probably remember 20% of it. I only remember whatever emotionally moves me. Right, right. But books are important because that's how I'm getting my education. Listen, three years ago, without my Instagram dies and all the books I started, I was, I was, four years ago, I was voting for Hillary Clinton. That's how fucked up I was. <laughs> okay? So let's take it to the real life. Okay, right. that's how fucked up I was, mm-hmm. and it's because of all the books that I got read. I got taken to the right direction down the right rabbit holes, and got the right people like you and other people I met through Instagram uh, that led me to the right books and the right sources of information. And I want to share this information with people because, you know, like wow, this book that I have now, this Illuminati confession, is like whoa. Yeah, man. And, I, and so let's um, plug up your Instagram so people can find you because you'll be shooting some really good-ass memes. And I, I should suggest that the books you read, because I know you've read a lot, you should do like a summaries of the books. Like take a picture of the book and do a quick summary. Yeah, I, I could. I could do that. Yeah, but give, give us your Instagram account so people can follow Isn't you. Isn't it technocracy now? I, I forget. <laughs> Hold on a second. I've had so many accounts taken down. Isn't it technocracy now? No. Changes upon us. Okay. C-H- it's C H A N G E I S U P O N U S six two. Yeah, and I'll put it in the show notes, and I'll also put the name of that that uh, guru that you were talking about. Yeah, Paramahansa Yogananda. And then my t- my Twitter account all of a sudden started to get going. It's uh, Technocracy Now 
Okay, send me that on, on, on in a message so I can put that on. Okay, there I'll too. send that to you guys. So thank you folks for being here. And we come full circle again, like uh, Agnew said, God is inside of us. Stop looking out and try to look in books and behind walls and behind certain things. It's inside of you. Just close your eyes and you're, you're there. That's all you have to do. Just pay attention. So with that, I want to close out with a song called Full Circle by Helios. Have you ever heard that band, Agnew? No. Okay, so I'm going to play this song and stick with me, and I want to talk to you off the okay. air a couple things because we're going to have you on again. And thank you, okay. folks, for listening to us. And go follow my buddy Agnew on Instagram and on Twitter and uh, send us a re review. Give us a review. Um, if, even if you don't like the show, just give us a five star and say, y'all suck, and I'll read it. And um, if y'all, anyone wants to talk to me, I'm always open to talk to new people. Um, so yeah, uh, give us a follow and share us and follow my buddy. So this is Full Circle by Helios, and it's spelled H-A-E-L-O-S. Uh, so know thyself, improve thyself, find the others, and then you'll know what to do. Peace. Yeah.